Hi, this is Jeffrey Shaw, author of The Self-Employed Life, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey is a speaker and business coach. Jeffrey Shaw helps self-employed and small business owners gain control of their business in what seems like an otherwise uncontrollable circumstance. Let me read that over. That's terrible. As a speaker and small business coach, Jeffrey Shaw helps small helps self-employed and small business owners gain control of their business in what seems like an otherwise uncontrollable circumstances. Drawing on his experience as a, as a portrait photographer, Jeffrey shows business owners how to see businesses through the, a different lens and strategies to compose often chaotic pieces of life and business into sustainable success. Jeffrey's TEDx Lincoln Square talk is featured on TEDx on TED.com. He's the host of the top-rated podcast, The Self-Employed Life, and the author of two books. Jeffrey lives in Miami, is here to talk about his book, The Self-Employed Life, Business and Personal Development Strategies that Create Sustainable Success. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hello, Bill. I'm glad to be here with you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, Jeffrey, who's someone that influenced or inspired you? I didn't. I don't know that I realized her influence at the time, but I ended up dedicating my book to my mother was an entrepreneur. She owned a hair salon, which I like to say was a beauty parlor straight out of steel magnolias. Basically, it was a, a gossip gathering place. But she was such a natural born entrepreneur without trying. And she, as my family would vacation as a child, had the opportunity to observe how when we were on vacation, she would see something that reminded her of one of her customers and she would buy it for that customer. My mother had a loyal clientele that came back year after week after week for many years. I realized just the power of relationship in building a business. For my mother, it was just so natural that it wasn't something that she had to try for or that many of us and take trainings to learn. For her, it just came natural. So in hindsight, I may not have realized that at the time, but I have to say in hindsight, she definitely has has proven to be my greatest inspiration. Now, did observing her help you become not only more mindful of the importance and power of relationships, but did you pick up things that you suddenly adopted because you saw that it would help you? I'm not saying when you were an entrepreneur, but I'm talking about when you were in school, (laughs) before you left home, did you start to adopt some of these things in order to improve your own relationships? The key element of my childhood is I, I really suffer from paralyzing shyness. In fact, I always joke that I chose photography as my original profession because it was the most reclusive profession I could imagine. It, it required back in the day hanging out in the dark room. Anytime I was out in the world taking photographs, there was this box, this camera between me and the world. Kind of like if a child covers up their eyes, they think that you can't see them. I felt that way with a camera in front of me. So if this camera's in front of me, I can't see you other than through the lens, you can't see me. So I spent most of my life being a masterful observer. I don't know that I applied what I was learning from my mother at that time as much as observing. I I honestly look back and think, I think I was just a masterful observer for the first 20 years of my life, from which I now look at shyness as a gift. Observation now plays the strongest role in my life because having not only a huge repertoire of what I've observed over all my years, but also it's what makes me good at work that I do in supporting my clients to attract their ideal clients, their customers, and to build businesses is that by observation, I can morph into many different types of people. I can reflect back to a business owner what their customers need to see, hear, and 
feel in order for their customers to choose them. There's a connection to me between having been a masterful observer to being able to get into the shoes of other people so that I can inform a business owner of what their next best strategies are. Give an example of someone you worked with where they explained something to you the way they may have explained it to a business partner or a loved one, and you were able to point out something that they were sharing that they didn't realize themselves, but you have the gift of observation, were able to reflect that back and add value to the conversation by letting them see something that you reference as a metaphor in your book. I love the metaphor of when you're in the jar, you can't read the label. We've all been there. I love that metaphor because it is so frustrating to be in the jar, to be the expert and not be able to see what others are seeing from the outside. Yeah. Oh gosh. Honestly, Bill, I think it's turned out to be one of my greatest experiences that I get to enjoy so much. It's interesting that the way the dots in our lives connect. And I think so often we go through these iterations in our lives. Correct. Correct. So I'm going to answer this question a little rounded a circle. We open and close doors and we don't often make the connections. So I gave my TEDx talk in 2018. And at its core, the TEDx talk is about the fact that people can often see more in us than we can see in ourselves. It was a big idea talk. That's what a TEDx talk is. I didn't see the business correlation as strongly in when I was developing that talk. But as it turns out, my greatest pleasure in my coaching business and one aspect of my business is the Self-Employed Business Institute. What's important about that is that at any given time, I'll have 20 or so students in a cohort. So I get to work with a lot of people all at once. The most moving aspect for any student in the business institute to, or for that matter, one-to-one coaching clients is, I think it's true of all of us, is I'm able to see more than they see in themselves. That's one of the greatest gifts we can receive in life when somebody sees more in us than we see in ourselves. Because that, as I say in my TEDx talk, at the end of the day, we're limited by our own expectations. It doesn't matter how big you think you're able to be. By nature, an expectation is a predetermined outcome. So we live our lives as a series of expectations. Even if we increase what we expect of ourselves, it's still yet another ceiling of we've predetermined we're currently capable of. The benefit of people in our lives seeing more in us than we see in ourselves is they bust through our own ceilings of expectation because they're like, I see more in you than you're even seeing in yourself. So to give an exact example, one of the students in the Self-Employed Business Institute, her name is Deb. Deb, like everybody I work with, is already pretty well established. Her case, a great deal of corporate experience and had recently in the last three years transitioned out of corporate to start her own coaching and consulting business. So as I always say, my ideal students for the Self-Employed Business Institute come with pieces because this taps into my photographer mind. I'm really good at composing pieces. My brain thrives there. So they come to me with pieces. Deb is such a hardworking, typical corporate executive. What I observed in her, she has since identified now that she's completed the five-month program, she's identified as the life-changing moment, is when I said to her, I said, what you most need is things in your life need more air. But there's a way in which we can work as Deb was working with such strong intention. In business, when you're self-employed, there's a way in which we could try so hard that you're actually not giving something the air it needs to work. I can understand that. It's similar to when you see people working with teams and the person at the center of the team, maybe the leader, is just firing off things to the subordinates and they could accomplish the tasks, but they don't have time to digest why that decision was made to understand what skills might be necessary in the future. And if she was just someone who did that coming from a corporate environment, maybe she adopted that as an entrepreneur and wasn't even aware that was a survival mechanism that she was using in another environment 
that wasn't serving her in this environment. Correct. It's a cliche. There's a phrase, uh, something like you can't receive with a clenched fist. So here she is, like many of us, trying to work. She's working so hard to get business in her relatively new business. But in the working so hard, she's literally not allowing the air for what she wants to happen. There was a way in which she just needed to loosen up. I, I have to say, Bill, the most beautiful email I got from her is at one point when she really owned the message of what I was saying. And she sent me an email letting me know that she did a lot of work to loosen up her schedule, got rid of a lot of shoes, way over networking to the point where she was networking to the point that it was choking her time. She was spending her weekend driving around in her convertible with the top down. So it became this whole metaphor for her needing to give her business, not just her life, but her business some air so that she could actually receive the results of the hard work she was putting in. I bet you could look at her calendar and see how clogged it was. There was no white space on her calendar. Yeah, I've meditated for many years and I've always been fascinated by really the fundamental question, which can challenge the intention of meditation, which is when do we really get our best ideas? Is it times of mindfulness or times of mindlessness? Let's face it. Most of us get our best ideas in times of mindlessness, right? We're told that mindfulness makes our brain more acute. And scientifically, in fact, it does. But when does anybody get their best ideas? In the shower, when you're driving. We get our best ideas in moments of mindlessness because we give things the air and space that we need in order to receive the thoughts that want to come in. That's great. That segues to the next question, which is in your book, you say the trifecta of personal development, business strategies, and daily habits is the formula for success. At what point did you first figure this out for yourself? What difference did you notice happening when you employed this approach? Yeah, to me, it's fundamental to being self-employed. I'm somewhat of a rare individual in that I've actually never had a traditional job. I've been self-employed my whole life from a very young age. And fundamentally, in being self-employed, you realize that you live your life much more as an ecosystem. What I introduce in the book is the self-employed ecosystem, which is this trifecta that you're speaking of. It's just a reality to being self-employed. The old adage is business is business. Don't take it personally. So that doesn't work for self-employed people. Of course, they're going to take it personally because we're that close to it. But it's more than that. It's more than the fact that we care so much about what we do that our feelings are going to get hurt. It's more than that. Fundamentally, without a doubt, when you're self-employed, there's two key components. One is that your life is integrated with your business in various ways, which is why you need a more holistic integrated approach, which is what I refer to the self-employed ecosystem. The other reality of being self-employed is that your level of success is directly proportionate to your level of personal development. You're not going to succeed beyond levels in which your brain has adapted to your next level of success. It's not until I call it the deserving ceiling. It's not possible to really generate the next level of business success if you don't think you deserve it. Like expectations, we inherently have this ceiling of belief of what we think we deserve. We have to increase the deserving ceiling, increase the space for which what we think we deserve so that as we apply hard work as a self-employed business owner, there's room for that success to go. I think it goes back to your transformation because you were hiding behind cameras early in your career and now you've come out and are speaking to entrepreneurs, helping self-employed people grow their businesses. And you've had to make a shift in your own life that you deserve this and that you have value to contribute there. What was a moment where that led to that transformation for you? Was it just through meditation? Was it through a seminar? I know you've read lots of self-help books. Do you remember a particular moment? It might not have been a lightning bolt moment. But at least something that said, oh, wait a second, I should do this more often, or I should embrace this even closer in my life. Was there a moment? 
in a way there was, and in a way it was a lightning bolt. And it also transitioned slowly in that I had a very successful photography business, one that anyone would be a fool to walk away from. But I felt a certain degree of completion. I felt like I had gone as far as my soul was driven to go as a photographer. So there was a point where I did coach training. I started building a coaching practice and I was building that coaching practice. My photography clients found out that I was also a coach, that they might feel they're getting less than 100% of my attention. So I kept it secret, kept it on the side. The lightning bolt moment was a Sunday morning. I remember it so distinctly. A feeling in my bones how frustrated I was that I wasn't able to be myself, that I wasn't able to be the woo-woo, self-help person I love to be. I've always loved to read personal development and self-help books. And here I was literally building a practice as I, I always joked that I, it was like I was having an affair with myself. Like I wasn't letting that whole side of my life know that I had this secret affair with coaching. I had two websites at the time, one for coaching, one for photography. So there was a lightning bulb moment where I just said, that's it. I went in and shut down the coaching website and integrated the content onto my photography website. I'm fortunate that my domain had always been jeffreyshaw.com. I said, this is Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey Shaw is a photographer. Jeffrey Shaw is a coach. I just owned it. That put me on the course of over the past 15 years of transitioning and 100% into coaching now. How was it when you saved that page of your website and you had integrated the content? Because I bet you that felt different to you. Freeing. What was interesting is that now I ended up coaching a lot of my previous photography clients. They saw another side of me. I think they respected me more as a business person because I wasn't just their family photographer. But now they saw how much more I brought. I think the other important question you asked in your original question, Bill, that I want to make sure we circle back to was about at what point did I see my value or my worth? One of the things I've always struggled with throughout my journey is feeling that I didn't have a university training. I completed high school and then I went on to photography school, which is more of a trade school. There was always a certain amount of shame that was associated with that for me, especially in the business world as a business coach. So another big turning point for me was realizing that I'm very respectful of those that have MBAs and a higher education. But it was when I owned my value as a coach saying, I deliver the most in the trenches, practical, applicable, and realistic coaching advice that there is because I've always been self-employed. That's why I, I take ownership of that space as an author, an advocate, and trainer for self-employed business owners. And it's like, I'm going to own this space because this is the space I own. That is what the big game changer is for those that I coach because what they're receiving in my training and coaching is actually what's been singing in their own hearts all along. And they didn't find anybody else that thought the way they do. It's a huge breakthrough huge. just to be able to connect with others and no longer feel that sense of isolation. In fact, one of the statements you make in the book that I really love is you say we need others to reach our full potential. How does that play out day to day for you and the people you work with? The way it plays out for me, and again, we were talking earlier about my TEDx talk, seeing more in others than they see in themselves. So when I was building the Self-Employed Business Institute, my team and I built out how are we going to measure success? Being who we are and being the trainers for self-employed business owners, of course, we're going to look at it differently. We're not looking at the dollars and cents results. We're looking at what's the life-changing results we're creating for people. So we set up a series of criteria. One of those criteria is that we require from every student before we feel that they've completed, it's our responsibility to accomplish this for them, is has each student achieved a moment where we were able to express back to them or mirror back to them something we see more in them than they see in themselves? Are they leaving thinking that 
seeing in themselves a bigger, bolder version than when they started. So student by student, one by one, I can write down and we do this. That's how we measure our success. I write down what I saw in someone, said it to them and saw their face change, their demeanor change, because they had a moment where somebody in their life saw more and then they saw themselves. The really cool thing is, Bill, I find that when I challenge most people to look inward and say, if you strip away all humbleness in ways that you're told to be humble. Did you always know that? Did you always know that you were special, that you're capable? Everyone says yes, everyone. But we're socialized to stay humble. We're socialized not to make ourselves the center of attention. I think now, even in today's environment, where we're more separate from each other because of the pandemic restrictions and whatnot, I, I think that it's important to recognize how important it is to be seen for what you can contribute. And what you're doing by making this such an important criteria for success is you're saying to people who are feeling lonely, isolated, disconnected from their work or the contribution that they're able to make, let me remind you of how much power you have. Let me remind you of how much the world needs what you have to offer. You're setting expectations when people come into the program that this is one of the transformations that'll take place. In your book, you talk about another transformation that takes place through intention. You talk about reading Lynn McTaggart's book, The Intention Experiment, using your thoughts to change the life and the world. You say that she described the results of a research project conducted in Washington, D.C. in 1993 to lower crime, where the hypothesis was that if enough people gathered and shared this same intention, the crime rate would decrease. From June 7th through July 30th of that 1993, 4,000 participants meditated on the intention of lowering crime, and as a result, the crime rate measurably decreased. What are some of the top takeaways for that for entrepreneurs? First of all, get 4,000 people together. <laughs> no, I think it's the power of intention. I've always been fascinated by the power of intention, right? even to the degree that I used to study the difference between intention and prayer, because on the surface, they can seem similar. How one handles intention and one handles prayer is a personal choice. But often, prayer is to a higher power and intention is to our own power. And there's scientific proof to show how the power of a like Lynn McTaggart study. So I am a very strong proponent with my clients to help them get clear on their intentions. But I do it a very unique way and in, in a way that no one ever trained me to do it. But again, my style of in the trenches type of coaching and training, uh, it's what I call a from to format. Because the problem is most people set their intentions too vaguely. I intend to be successful, intend to make a million dollars, whatever it might be, but it doesn't work. What works is a clear understanding of what you want to go from and what you want to go to. Think of one of your clients and share a specific way that you help them articulate that language. Yeah, Melanie, I helped her get very clear that she wanted to go from not having enough money to pay her bills to having more than enough money. And not just enough, but more than enough. I'll give you another example because it's actually more recent. I worked with uh, another client, Lori, and much to my surprise, I knew Lori in other realms in life. Lori, to me, seemed like one of the most together professionals that I knew of. So when she and I were doing this work together, much to my surprise, she described herself as a half-asser. She was somebody that was so frustrated with herself that she tended to do things half-assed. She got things half-completed. I was like, you're kidding. You don't seem that way in the world at all. She says, yeah, it's because I have a great team who's finishing everything off for me. She says, but you know what? They've had it with me being a half-asser, she said. So here's the thing. You have to also look at in what way is this eating away at somebody? In what way is this toxic? How is this breaking down her confidence? That's why I think these things need to be addressed sooner than later is because you have to look at what is it doing to you on the inside? And this is 
definitely making her feel less in her profession when compared to other people. It's very common for entrepreneurs to be great starters, but not great finishers, which is yes. the importance of teams. Exactly. Know that you could build the team around you. But she also wanted to know in herself. She didn't want to just rely on her team, not that she minded delegating. She said to me, even on a personal level, she, she has baskets of laundry all over the house that are meant to be in a drawer somewhere. So this was a very emotional thing to her that she just did not feel like somebody who could see things through. Now, honestly, I think that played out for her in bigger ways for her own goal setting. Like she might have goals and visions for her future. But if she thinks of herself as a half-asser, she also recognizes she's not putting her full effort into meeting those goals. So it was to go from a half-asser to a rock star completer. Believe me, Bill, to get to the such a short, concise phrase doesn't happen instantly. It's a very iterative process, tends to have a lot of words to it. But at the end of the day, your brain can't comprehend that. But what she can affirm through an intention every single day is I am going to go from being a half-asser to a rock star completer. She can recite that intention in the from to format over and over again, to at which point she believes and it, lives it. Lori is actually one of my greatest success stories in someone who lived through her intention. She actually became... Just I'll tell you real quickly. She actually took up as a hobby during the pandemic. She took up the hobby of refinishing furniture. Now, how is that as a representative of somebody who went from half-assed to rockstar furniture? She literally took up furniture refinishing and then selling it as a hobby, as a representation of her ability to complete. You often can't sell refinished furniture until it's done. <laughs> it has to be completed. So great criteria. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I, I bet you the first time that she said that intention, she either stumbled over it or laughed hysterically when she thought about that for herself. Do you remember what it was like starting with her? I would say, honestly, I would say it's more of a, a sense of relief. And I say that because I have a unique way of getting people going to change their lives because I think motivation, as it's typically presented, is ineffective because motivation for a lot of people ends up being a dangling carrot. In the end, turns out not to be highly successful because you just keep dangling carrots so one of the metaphors I like to use are, are competitive divers uh, and swimmers and the Winter Olympics are going on. But let's imagine it's the Summer Olympics and you're watching competitive swimming. What's the first thing the swimmer has to do is jump off the pool edge. The first action to truly make a change in your life and to create momentum is the first leap. Then motivation is the stamina to keep going. So what I get my clients to focus on in order to make true, genuine changes in their lives is to get very clear on what they want to get away from. Because I don't believe anybody's going to stick through the trials and tribulations of being self-employed unless they're really clear on what it is they don't ever want to face again. It might be. Let's just look at finances because it's such a sore subject for so many people. Until you absolutely have grown sick and tired of not having enough money that you will actually do something about it. Otherwise, you can so easily get caught up in a cycle of I've got enough for now. And then you take your foot off the gas. Next thing you know, you don't have enough again. And you jolt yourself back into working really hard to generate more income. And then you back it off again. How do you really get out of that? You get so sick and tired of the cycle that you're willing to break it and you do something about it. So my style of coaching and the way I start when I'm working with clients one to one, as well as in the Self-Employed Business Institute, is to help everyone get really clear on what it is that you want to get away from. So with Lori, it was obvious to me in the work that we had done that she really wanted to get away from this, how it made her feel about being a half-asser. She was tired of degrading her sense of self-worth and her confidence. She wanted more for herself. When you have that clarity of what you want to get away from, and then someone, in this case me, introduces a practice 
in setting from two formats as a way of getting out of it. Once I presented that formula to her, it was tremendous relief because it's a path out of that which she wants to get away from. What were one of the first signs that she was making progress on this new path? The one I recall was the relief from her team. I remember her telling me how her team was so happy she was doing this work. Actually, she had mentioned at one point that one of her team members made a comment that I was the first coach she had worked with that actually seemed to give a tangible, actionable way to break that habit. Because it's not as though she hadn't tried to break the habit before. Maybe I was a better coach than anybody she's encountered. But I'm more apt to say what I really gave her was the clarity about what she wanted to get away from. Because I can almost guarantee you nobody ever gave her that. Nobody actually did the work with her to help her get clear on how much she hated it and how much she wanted to get away from it. That, I think, is actually what propelled her. So to me, what I remember the most is her initial feedback from her team. Thank goodness you're actually doing something about this because you know what? They were tired of, they're getting tired of carrying the weight. So true. Jeffrey, what led you to start your podcast, The Self-Employed Life? A personal challenge, to be honest with you. I was in a year-long leadership program. Now, mind you, as a photographer, I had a very volume-controlled business because I was one photographer and a very successful business. I would do 150 shoots a year and 75 to 80 of them would be repeat clients. So in any given year, I only needed to gain 75 new clients. Very calculated because I could only handle 100 for the amount of time I devoted to each photo shoot and the way I service my clients, now they're a very affluent clientele, so very high touch, high service. I can only do 150 shoots a year. So the numbers were small in my mind, right? The, the fact of the matter is 150 shoots a year, only 75 new people on the planet needed to know I existed. I could handle that. For me, the reason I started the podcast is when I was in this leadership program and realizing that I wanted to be a leader of the world and I wanted to make a big impact. I was going to say, this is going to take a whole lot more than 150 people a year or 75 new people a year to know who I am. I want to sell books. It's going to take a lot more than 75 books. So I started the podcast as a challenge to, in my mind, of overcoming what I call the small numbers nemesis. Like, who am I in the world if I'm trying to impact big numbers? Prior to starting my podcast, I'd always referred to myself jokingly as a professional guest because I was the guest in my photography clients' homes asking for the bathroom. I was the speaker showing up at events to speak on stage and having to ask where the bathroom was. So I used to joke I was basically a professional guest. And I started challenging my own value and worth and wondering if I was a host, am I worth coming to? I actually, Bill had questioned whether I hadn't worked so hard in my life. I just pounded down the doors, but I wondered, was I actually good at what I did? Am I a good photographer? Was I a good coach? Am I a good speaker? Or I just pounded down the door? What would the world say if you put it out there? Correct. So I became a host to see if people would show up. And they did in huge numbers. I challenged myself. My first few guests were people that I had greatly admired, hugely accomplished authors. Sally Hogshead, Michael Port. They were my first two guests. I reached out to them and explained, I'm a brand new podcast. I'd like to, and they said, yes. I realized that as a host, I was good enough and putting out good enough content that people would show up for it. Guests, guests would say yes, and audiences said yes in, in droves. So initially, like most podcasts that start out, you didn't have droves of fans. What was the point where you knew that this was something that would be sustainable because it went from maybe dozens or hundreds of downloads to thousands? They're, they're in every podcaster's journey. There is that point where all of a sudden, oh, that's something really sustainable now. Yeah, I was fortunate in that when I started, I was wise enough. Thank goodness. I had been coaching a few years at that point. I started the podcast. 
podcast in 2014. So I'd been coaching for about six years, five, seven, five to six years. I'd built up a sizable list. My very first month of launch, the least number of downloads I've ever had is 1400 downloads. Because my first month I had 1400 downloads and it stayed like that. That was a result of having a several thousand person list that I was able to email that I was launching this podcast. And I know a lot of podcasters start with a handful. I understand that. I was fortunate. I at least started with 1400. But I never hit big numbers on the podcast as far as the number of downloads until about, I'd say about two years in. And here's what changed it. I stopped trying to be the most popular podcast. I stopped fighting to become a popular podcast in the world and instead wanted to become amongst the top three podcasts that my ideal listener listened to. My numbers immediately jumped from 2,000 to 10,000. It's a classic example of if you look at the world differently, the world looks at you differently. I, I don't know that I did anything in a practical sense differently, except I probably spoke more to the person. I stopped trying to be a popular podcast and just said, people have so many choices of podcasts to listen to. I just want to be amongst their top three. I think what it did is it enabled me to hone in on the person, the listener. What shifted is they felt that I was speaking to them. I honed in on them instead of speaking to the masses. It was the intentional structure. I don't want to be the most popular podcaster in the world. I want to be the most popular podcaster for this listener. How would you articulate your ideal listener for the self-employed life? So they are, and that they're always, almost always businesses of fewer than five people on the team, many of which are businesses of one. I have to go through that as a description to all my guests because I do like having some guests on my show that are actually from the corporate world and they're corporate leaders. But corporate speak does not resonate on my show. I'm bored to tears in 30 seconds if you start talking about corporate stuff to me. I don't even want to hear it. So I know my audience doesn't. But there's value in their lessons. There's huge values in learning how biz bigger businesses operate if we can adapt it to our own usage. So I, I see value in having them on, but I tell them right up front, it's just so you know who you're speaking to. You're primarily speaking to businesses of one. So let's Let's not talk about teams because it just doesn't resonate. Most of them, if they have a team, it's a virtual team. They're not sitting in the same room with a team. Jeffrey, one thing that people listening to My Quest for the Best love is the lightning round. Are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Absolutely. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked you about someone who influenced and inspired you growing up and you talked about your mother. When you were a teenager, Jeffrey, what's a song that you loved? When I was a teenager? Wow, wow. A song I loved when I was a teenager? Probably... It's funny, the most song stuck in my head is Lose Yourself by Eminem. But I don't think I was a teenager then. I think that's more recent than that. But I'm going to go with Lose Yourself just because I still find it to be one of the most motivating songs. I, I literally get lost in the song. How does it go? I'm not going to sing it. I couldn't sing it. It's Eminem. I'm about the least ability to rap kind of guy you can imagine. Well, what's a lyric that comes to mind that really energizes you? It's just a really motivation. It's just about losing yourself and, and finding yourself in the moment. That to me is the key. It's a very in the moment song. It's what I listened to before. I like on the stage. mindfulness versus mindlessness that we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's what I listen to yeah. before I walk on stages when I'm speaking because it's it enables me to stay present in that moment. What's the most important way that you get your message out each week about your mission and your podcast and the work that you do in the self-employed institute. So it's to somebody who a coach I admire said recently, we asked, what's your beacon? For me, my beacon is the podcast. It's the way I reach the greatest audience. I do look at my podcast as a beacon of light. It's, you know, if I were to be the lighthouse, it's what I'm able to put out. It's why on the podcast, we mix it up two episodes a week. One episode is a very in-depth interview. Then the Monday episodes, uh, what I call coaching break are just that, or they're meant to just be a, a little break for the audience to get some, receive some coaching. Uh, those episodes are 
it just me speaking for 12 to 15 minutes? So it's a platform, as a podcast is, it's a platform to for me to get the word out. How did delivering eggs as a young boy prepare you for being a successful coach and speaker? It was the scariest thing I ever did. And I find speaking scary too. As a kid, selling eggs door to door, knocking on that door and knowing somebody was going to come to it as a shy kid scared the daylights out of me. I wanted to vomit and I still feel that way as a speaker. But what I realized, the core lesson there is that you realize that the impact I wanted to create was bigger than the fear. So in every case, in every stage of my life, I'm willing to do what it takes and overcome the fear because I care more about the people I can impact. What would you say is the best advice you ever received? The best and worst advice I ever received actually came from my father. He had said to me, no one's going to care about your life as much as you do. I've always called that my, I've always considered that the worst advice I ever received, but you just asked about the best advice. And I can offer that as the best advice because I realized it actually turned out, I thought it was a horrible thing to say to a teenage boy. <laughs> I can remember the exact moment. And it wasn't said in a lot. It was said in a harsh way. Like, oh, nobody's going to care about your life as much as you do. And uh, but I've turned it into the best advice. It turned out it was the best advice I ever got because I believe that's why I became self-employed. I really owned what he said. I felt like such an outsider. I felt like such I had such low self-esteem and value, sense of value as a teenager. When he said that to me, I'm like, you know what? He's right. No one's going to care about my life as much as I do. So I better step up, take care of my life. I became self-employed and have been ever since. So it actually turned out to be the best advice I ever could have received. I think that was largely because of the powerful response that you had to it in owning it and then taking action. So bravo for you. Thank you. What's one of your favorite ways to reduce friction with doing business with you as a, a coach and speaker? Beautiful question. Thank you for asking that. I make myself ridiculously accessible and even my clients are surprised by that. I don't, I, I do the, I just, I do the work I do to put the best work out there in the world. The fact of the matter is the success of my books and my podcasts to others have elevated me to a certain status, whatever that status is, but that's their reflection on me. I still think I, I'm the same person. I, I, one day I had somebody reach out to me on Facebook with a a really glowing message of gratitude and appreciation for who I was. And I thanked her and received all that. I said to her, and, uh, and as I'm writing this, I'm picking up dog poop. And I literally was, because I was walking my dogs. And that was my way. I was like, yes, and I'm just doing my thing. So I make myself crazy accessible as a way to reduce friction when I'm working with my clients because we need those partners in life. We need those peers and people in our life that make us feel safe. And that, that's something I very focus on, which is why I, I still try to control the number of people I work with at any given time, because they've got a direct line of communication to me to really reduce friction. So when people work with you, what have you noticed is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about charting their own path for success in the self-employed life? The biggest misconception, which is actually the basis of the whole book, because for years I asked people, why did you become self-employed? Everybody has the same answer. Everybody says, I became self-employed because I wanted to control my destiny or my future, or control the hours I work, to which I like to say, how's that going for you? Of course, every self-employed person knows, yeah, that's it's not going the way I, I thought. So the biggest misconception of even being self-employed is thinking that you're going to gain all this control. The problem is that you're gaining, you're entering uncontrollable circumstances. We can't control the economy, can't control pandemics. There's so many circumstances that are out of our control. But what I realized after years of asking people, you know, why they became self-employed, it was all about control. I realized I actually had a solution to the problem. And the solution is the self-employed ecosystem that I lay out in the book, as well as teach in the Self-Employed Business Institute. Because at the end of the day, here's the answer. The answer is that, no, you can't control the circumstances of the world around us, but you, the only thing you can control is the environment you create for the results you want. You have to set up the circumstances right down to brand 
brand messaging. Like you, it's up to you to set up the environment that speaks to your ideal clients to get the result of attracting your ideal clients that you want. But we have the only thing we have control over and a tremendous amount of control of is the environment we create, the business model, the brand messaging, the business model. You set up the right environment. You have given yourself a very significant chance of getting the results you want. What doesn't work out if you've given it your all and set up the environment for the results you want, what doesn't work out, all you can do is just accept that it didn't for reasons perhaps unknown to you, but you've given it your best. Jeffrey Shaw, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. You talked about the importance of being able to look at the gifts that you were given in your life. And you started with shyness and how shyness was actually a gift that you turned around and learned to use in order to propel your life in a new direction. And that also happened when your dad said to you, no one will care as much about your life as you do. You talked about the importance with Deb of taking her corporate experience and leaving some white space in order for her to uh, allow to have her to have the impact that she so desired. You talked about your mom is an inspiration and how she was able to have such effortless relationships and how really catering to people really made the biggest difference with the growth of her business. You talked about the importance of creating ecosystem so that we really do take responsibility for the success of our businesses and also the expectations and intentions that we set. So for these reasons and so many more, Jeffrey Shaw, I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you for having me. Jeffrey, before we say goodbye for now, where's a website that people could go to find out more about you and your work and especially the Self-Employed Institute? So I would start with uh, two plays. You go to the selfemployedlife.me. That's where you find both of my books and some of the other things that I do. The Self-Employed Business Institute can be found at selfemployedbusinessinstitute.com. But if you connect to any one of those places, it'll lead you to the next. Jeffrey, we're going to link to both those websites as well as to places uh, where your social media is active, as well as online stores so people could buy The Self-Employed Life. Once again, Jeffrey Shaw, author of The Self-Employed life, business, and personal development strategies that create sustainable. I want to thank you for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.